0: Welcome, everyone, to the Ask a CEO Show. Ask a CEO interviews bring us inside the corner office and C-suite for discussions with top executives about their journey to leadership and the reality of running their companies today. Our host, Greg DiMetrio, is the CEO of Lorraine Gregory Communications, an award-winning integrated marketing company. He is also the founder of gregscorneroffice.com, the home of the Ask a CEO interviews.
1: Welcome, everybody, to Ask the CEO. I'm Greg Demetrio, the host for today. I'm um, Also, my day job is uh, CEO of Lorraine Gregory Communications uh, here on Long Island, an award-winning integrated marketing company. But my passion is talking to CEOs. Uh, we can't be CEOs without the company of other CEOs. We learn from each other. We help each other. We talk to each other. And there's always insights that are shared. So whether you're in this industry or not, you're going to pick up some really good management tools uh, from Mark today. So Mark is the president and executive officer of both Acres Capital and Xantis, a public company. Mark leads the executive management team. He's got over 25 years experience in commercial real estate finance, and in particular works with developers and entrepreneurs focused on innovative debt and equity solutions. Before launching Acres in 2012, Mr. Vogel served as executive at several prominent commercial real estate finance companies. He served as a senior officer at a $3.5 billion publicly traded mortgage REIT. He's a frequent panelist at uh, uh, commercial real estate conferences and he's launched, he's lectured at universities and a wide variety of real estate and finance topics. He was awarded the 2016 Long Island Smart CEO Future Award and has been nominated for the prestigious Ernst & Young Entrepreneur of the Year Award in 2016. Mark holds a bachelor's degree from, in accounting from University of Delaware and a master's degree in real estate investment and development at New York University. Acres Capital is a commercial real estate lender that provides unique debt capital solutions for the commercial real estate industry, and he manages over $3.1 billion in assets. And in just this past July, Acres purchased Xantus, which is a publicly traded commercial real estate investment company. Quite a resume, Mark. Thank you, and welcome to the
2: show. Thank you for having me, Greg. Excited to be here.
1: Yeah. So listen, before we dive in, you have a really deep resume in finance. Maybe you could tell the audience your backstory, you know, where you came from, how you got here. Uh, What are the decisions you made to wind up in the commercial real estate industry?
2: Sure. Uh, Interesting question. I've been at it for 30 years now. And it all started uh, in accounting. I went to Delaware, as you mentioned, and I got an accounting degree, thinking that uh, that was a nice, safe place to be in the world. That's what your grandparents tell you. That's what your parents tell you. Let's go into something safe like accounting. You'll never not have a job. And that's just sort of the generation they came from. After about uh, uh, a year, Probably less. I decided I I hated accounting. I I was fortunate enough, though, to work at a company that had a bunch of real estate holdings. And I got interested in this idea of uh, having a tangible sort of asset in front of my face that I could really figure out uh, and get excited about because, you know, you walk down the street, that's what you see, commercial real estate. (laughs) And uh, it just a whole lot more exciting than uh, crunching numbers uh, on a piece of paper. So um, after I got that little bit of a taste of commercial real estate uh, finance for this company that was not a commercial real estate company, uh, I decided to take the accounting background and move over to uh, general growth properties. General growth uh, at the time, and this is sort of the mid 1990s, was the second largest, largest mall operator in the United States after Simon. And uh, it was a great experience for me because I worked uh, boots on the ground with the management team that really did all the work on the property, on these malls, uh, from property management to leasing, to marketing, to operations, to construction, and uh, got me really excited about commercial real estate because watching things happen uh, front and center really makes you realize just how much goes into running every piece of real estate that's out there. And so, with that uh, knowledge and with that background, I decided this is where I wanted to go. I started uh, going to NYU on a part time basis for my master's degree in commercial real estate and switched companies uh, to a place called Far City Ratner Companies, which at the time was probably the biggest developer in New York City. Uh, This is sort of the late 90s. Far City Ratner redeveloped Times Square, they uh, brought a lot of the big box retail into. New York City, including the Targets and the Staples, and the, you name it. Uh, they were the first landlord to do that in New York City. Uh, and they also built MetroTech Center in downtown Brooklyn. Not to mention Atlantic Yards and wow. everything. Wow! Um, wow. wow. Okay, those are some pretty heavy heavy names you just threw out there. Yeah. So uh, you know, I what I started realizing was commercial real estate's complicated, and if you really want to know it well, you've got to do a lot of different types of jobs. So I had my property management and finance. I got into development. I did that for several, several years. And then I realized I wanted to get into the lending side of the equation. Mm-hmm. And so I joined this uh, sleepy little uh, commercial real estate lending group out on Long Island uh, called Arbor Commercial Mortgage. And Arbor at the time was you know, just really starting up as a commercial real estate lender. Uh, they had been a residential mortgage lender prior to that. And I was brought in really to oversee assets that we were making loans on because uh, our chairman and the company was not really used to making commercial loans. And so it was a bit of underwriting, bit of asset management, bit of everything. Uh, and during my time there, we, we blossomed as a company. We went public in 2004. Uh, I was one of the senior guys on the team. I ran the asset management group and. We grew our portfolio from a public offering number of $400 to almost $4 billion by the time the great financial crisis hit in 2008. And unfortunately or fortunately for me, I had to work out a whole lot of loans uh, during that 2008-2009 crisis. I was in charge of the portfolio. So I had 200 very complicated loans that I had to work through uh, and uh, try to get back to a performing type level.
1: Well, that brings me to my next question, because on your website, it says you guys specialize in complicated and complex real estate financing. Me as a non-financial guy, maybe you can explain what that means exactly.
2: It's um, If you want to go get a loan on a piece of commercial real estate and it's stable and it's easy to understand, uh, you've got an office building that's 100% leased to uh, tenants. And it's got great cash flow. You're going to go to a bank, and you're going to go get a loan, and you're going to get a, a cheap rate, and you're going to hold it for 10 years with that bank, and that's the way that system works. Uh, we don't we don't play in that space. What we do is we work with borrowers and developers, who are seeking out value add type opportunities, situations where the property is either down and out, uh, and it just needs to be enhanced with capital improvements, construction, renovation, or it's ground up construction altogether. And these types of situations are very complicated. Uh, None of them are alike. It's not uh, your cookie cutter type bank loan. Every deal has to be structured differently for uh, what the asset is and what they're doing and for what the borrower's preferences are. We're dealing mostly with entrepreneurs. Acres lends in the middle market space, which is essentially defined as $10 to $50 million loans. And what you find in that space is generally not institutions. You find entrepreneurs... Who are building buildings? They're really good at what they do, but they need highly tailored and structured solutions.
1: Exactly. Well, that's that's interesting. I didn't even know that that part of the market existed. Yeah. Really. I mean, you wonder where some of these big developments get financed. I guess they come to you. How cool is that? So it listen. Is. So now we've all been affected by COVID. Are deals still happening? Did did deals get put on the shelf? What was your experience during the COVID time in terms of your business?
2: Well, we're still in the COVID time, (laughs) and they're still dealing with it. But, um, you know, look, in in commercial real estate, people are just uh, very concerned right now. Uh, The the office market is in a place right now where it's very hard to determine what the long-term prognosis is for people working out of offices, particularly in New York City or any downtown urban location where, you know quite frankly, people are afraid to go back right now. Um, and it's, it's mostly to do with the idea that it's hard to get up elevators and, you know, get to work on an efficient manner when you can only put two people on an elevator at a time. Yeah. Um, so you'll see a lot of these wall street firms, they're not, they're not going back for a long time. So what does that do to the office market? Hospitality. People are just not traveling for business or conventions. That is essentially, uh, created an enormous amount of distress in the hospitality sector. And then on the retail side, retail was distressed before COVID, and now it's especially distressed right now. Uh, on the multifamily side, that's where you're seeing the most opportunity and investment. People are really uh, aligning themselves to go after multifamily apartments, uh, because it seems to me the safest place to be right now. Um, so we, along with a lot of other lenders and developers and entrepreneurs are trying to figure out the landscape on a go forward basis and being very careful about where we put our capital.
1: So you touched on, you touched on the uh, hospitality industry, the, the several different industries, but on retail, you have many of the anchor stores and malls and strip centers are leaving hundreds of thousands of square feet of empty space. Do you see anybody re- trying to reimagine that space and, and, and,
2: and recreate it as something different? Absolutely. Uh, as a matter of fact, we're targeting just uh, those types of opportunities, several of those types of opportunities. If you think about where a lot of the retail properties lie, uh, where they sit, where they're situated, they're generally in the best part of town. They're on the main drag. Uh, they're sort of the center of town. It's where everybody wants to be. So you've got a really good site for the most part. And uh, we need people, uh, good entrepreneurial developers to identify those types of situations and reimagine them and create more value than what exists there today. And people are doing it all over the place. And we like it because, uh, you know, the old saying goes, it's all about the location. Well, it really is uh, in commercial real estate. Mm-hmm. If these properties happen to be located in uh, areas where once you build something that makes sense for that marketplace, they're extremely valuable properties. So we, we want to target those types of situations. Have you
1: seen some of those big box stores being converted to a residential scenario?
2: Yes. So you're seeing uh, apartments, buildings becoming attached to uh, more like in, they're, they're reimagining the mall now. It's more entertainment type situations, restaurants, gyms, uh, you, you name it. Um, I'm also seeing uh, some of them converted to hotels, uh, as well as, you know, self-storage, data centers, you name it. uh, People are figuring it out. Okay. Well, that'll keep you busy for a while.
1: (laughs) Right. So, Mark, we need to take a uh, a short commercial break to pay some bills. So if you don't mind, we'll just stand by and we'll be right back.
0: Want to get your marketing and advertising out to the widest audience with maximum effect? Check out Lorraine Gregory Communications, an award-winning agency telling personal and brand stories for more than 30 years. Tell your company's story with digital and traditional advertising and marketing. Visit LorraineGregory.com today.
1: All right, everybody, we're back with Mark Vogel, the CEO of Acres Capital and Zantis, which is a publicly traded company. Mark, tell us about the Acres acquisition of Xantis. How did that come about? Why does it make sense? And what does it do for the company overall?
2: Um, when, we, when I developed Acres, when I founded Acres, the idea was to focus very heavily on the middle market lending space. What we do today is we focus mostly on construction, transitional type real estate, uh, very complicated projects that don't have any cash flow. Inevitably, once our loan terms are up and the projects are complete, those deals leave our system and they go to a lender like Exantis or like an Arbor uh, for a stabilization to perm type loan. We wanted to create a situation where everything was done in-house so that our borrowers had the opportunity to just stay with us after construction was done into a longer term type deal. And we had been thinking about that uh, well before the Exantis situation popped up. We had been looking at doing an IPO for uh, a mortgage REIT that looks like Exantis, and then COVID came along in March. Uh, the Exantis uh, REIT had significant problems because of uh, situations that occurred on their balance sheet and the company became available. And so instead of us doing an IPO, it became a perfect opportunity for us to come in, recapitalize the company, and essentially bring it together with the acres platform,
1: makes sense, so you have it front to back both both ends of the transaction that's really good. We've oh, tried to do that, that, that with our center. yeah no, we've tried to do that with our company, create a situation where it's one phone call and one meeting, and we got you covered that really makes make makes really good business sense I'm telling you <laughs> so <laughs> listen so uh because you you have the public aspects of Xantes, so your shareholders the boss. SEC is the watchdog. How demanding is it in terms of growth and compliance to operate a public company?
2: Well, fortunately for us, we had the opportunity to uh, take on many of the employees that exist within the Exanta system. We added 18 people to our company out of the Exanta system, many of whom, uh, I believe it's 12, uh, work completely on the compliance, finance, and legal end of essentially uh, publicly traded companies. And so a lot of that heavy lift and the heavy uh, duty burden that comes from being a publicly traded company, uh, we brought over the capability to do that uh, situation. And quite frankly, we're, we're used to dealing in an SEC environment where we're on the acre side, a registered investment advisor. So we're always having to comply with SEC rules and audits and everything along those lines. Uh, it's it's a little bit more burdensome for me as the CEO of both companies and that now I have to talk a lot more to shareholders and investors and, and lenders, but uh, that's just what comes with the territory, and uh, it's great for our company. and perfectly willing to do it.
1: In your previous history, you were involved with the publicly traded uh, uh, real estate
2: company, yes? I was. Uh, you know, when Arbor did their IPO, I was a senior officer there, and I'm used to it. I'm used to the... Uh, you know, the the regimen of being a a publicly traded company. I think that would be very daunting for us small business owners to even
1: think at that level. So I'm glad we have people like you around who can handle that stuff. (laughs) Uh, Is there a particular focus that Acres and Zantus are working on collaboratively? What's your meat and potatoes?
2: We we focus very heavily on residential related assets, uh, meaning uh, apartment buildings, uh, student housing, for-sale condo product, and um, uh, independent senior living. Uh, We we just believe that the residential sector, related sector, is more liquid. It's more um, enticing for investors. It's more solid. The fundamentals, if you go back over the course of 30 years or 40 years, the fundamentals uh, of, of loans related to these types of assets are much better then the fundamentals uh, related to hospitality, office, and, and retail. So 70% of our portfolio is geared towards that. And, uh, and and the other reason you do that is because we're doing short-term loans for the most part. We're looking for an exit on our loans uh, payoff. The, the liquidity that's available in the space that I just mentioned is significant in that you've got Fannie Mae and Freddie and a lot of the agency lenders, HUD, Uh, All the pension funds, all the life insurance companies are heavily geared towards residential related products. So it provides a lot of liquidity in the marketplace, gives me a safer feeling to know that my asset is is well-liked in the marketplace.
1: Interesting. So could you walk us through the process? How do deals come to you? What's your vetting process? And what's the timeline for an average deal? I know there's no average in your world, but What could you expect if we were going to go down the road of a development project and I came to you? How would
2: that work? Sure. Uh, Going back to the the process, it it all kind of started from the day we founded this company. The idea in this space is to develop a strong reputation uh, of efficiency, creativity, intelligence, and most importantly, execution. Um, And we've been doing that for the last nine years. So with that comes opportunity. And so the idea is build a big pipeline, build uh, sort of a wide net, capture as many opportunities that come through the middle market lending space as possible. And we used to see $10 million of opportunity, $10 billion, I'm sorry, $1 billion of opportunities a year. Then we saw $5 billion, then we saw 20. Now we're seeing $50 billion of opportunities a year. Mm -hmm. So the idea was build a wide net, see as many deals as you possibly can, And then have a very rigorous screening process to get through these deals very quickly. Um, So what you're going to see when you come to me as a developer is you're going to probably go through a broker, commercial real estate broker, mortgage broker, because what you're presenting to me is usually a very complicated project. And the brokers know what the buzzwords are and what the lenders want to see and packages that they want to be presented. So we will get that from you. We'll usually get on a phone call with you. We'll talk about your vision, why you believe in what you're doing, what your plan is, what your experiences are. And we'll take it from there, if we like it, into a term sheet. Term sheet goes to you. You come back to us with a signed term sheet. And it's typically a 30 to 45-day underwriting process where we dig deep. We work really closely with you to understand all the numbers, the plan, the timing, your general contractor, everything that's involved with the project. Uh, until we get to what we call in our investment committee memo, that goes to an investment committee, gets approved, and it usually takes five to 10 days to close the loan after that. So from the time you bring in a deal to the time it closes, it, it's probably 60 days. Really? That does not seem overburdensome, quite frankly. From if trying company, to go to a bank right now, it's probably six
1: months. <laughs> from a civilian, I, you know, I would think that sounds like a pretty standard timeline. Yeah. So as a CEO, you command the entire operation. What's your style? What's your management style? You're hands-on. You micromanage. You let people do what they're supposed to be doing. What is what's Mark Vogel's style?
2: Yeah, in a nutshell, my style is I work for my employees. Yeah, I'm, I'm here to support them. I've got a really great team. They know what they're doing. They understand how this process works. I'm here to help them get their jobs done. And so I run a very flat organization. I've been I've worked at companies and I've taken away from a lot of those companies things that I don't like, and I've changed the environment here. We don't operate in silos. We've got uh, the ability where the, the most junior guy can go talk to the most senior guy anytime they want. My door is always open. People walk in all the time, bounce things off of me. And you know we, we have team meetings once a week where everybody's involved, and we're talking about everything going on in the company. And so it's just a better culture. Everybody feels like they're part of it. Uh, everybody feels like they're contributing. And, and no voice is unheard in this organization. That brings
1: me to my next question was exactly that. Tell me about the team, but also about the culture. Culture is very important to business leaders nowadays, right? So maybe you could give me a, a thumbnail of what the team looks like and what the culture at Acres and Xanthus is.
2: Sure. A lot of the senior team came from my prior life. Before, before Acres, I, met, I worked with many of these senior people. Uh, I picked the best of the people that I knew in the industry and brought them over here. And so what you have is a highly experienced senior team. Our top 10 people all have 20 plus years of experience in this business. Uh, I don't have to tell them what to do. They do it. They know what I expect. And, um, you know, the the culture really is one in which you work pretty uh, independently, but collaboratively. Uh, It's... You know, you're not being told what to do every day of the week. You're not in a little silo where you can't go talk to every, everybody. You talk with everybody on the team. You collaborate. You come up with better ideas. <clears throat> and, you know, I, I know it's, it's sort of a cliche-ish, but, uh, but, you know, I like to surround myself with people that are really smart. I don't want to be the smartest guy in the room. You know, that's funny because our culture here is we don't allow
1: any drama. All right. Everybody knows what their job is. Please do your job. And in the midst of that, we become very collegial, become very friendly, and it's a much better environment. You cannot be creative in a toxic environment. So as a creative agency, we need to make sure of that. So that's, that's like a religion around here. Because if, if somebody comes in with drama, they're out.
0: They don't last.
1: They're gone. See you later. Goodbye. I don't care how smart you are, how much you bring to the table. If you're going to create a, a situation where we have to deal with you, see you. Have a good life. Right? So, all right, Mark, so I I really appreciate you being on the show today, but I would like you to answer these last two questions,
2: Mm -hmm.
1: and they probably sometimes dovetail. The best piece of advice you got personally and in business?
2: Uh, Personally, (laughs) uh, my my father, when I I first came out of college uh, and I was heading uh, on the Long Island Railroad with him into the city to um, get to my first job. Uh, he said to me, and uh, there's probably a whole bevy of reasons he said it to me. But he said, "Don't ever get too comfortable where you are." And I don't, I don't know if that was him uh, coming from the place of I stayed at a place for 30 years and I never really enjoyed what I did, or it was grow as a person, as an executive, as a, as, as a leader. And and to do that, you need to be in a lot of different places to get really good at what you're at, at what you do. I think that covers both sides, personal and business-wise, really. I I ask that
1: question all the time, and more often than not, that's what I get. I get a piece of advice that covers both sides of the street. So thank you so much for being on the show. I'm going to give you the floor and let you tell people how they can get a hold of you if they want more information about what it is you guys do.
2: Sure. Uh, I can be reached at uh, MF, as in Mark Fogle, at acrescap.com. Direct phone number is 516 336-8122. And please, if if you want to talk, if you have uh, things that you want to talk about, either from an entrepreneurial perspective or from a a finance or real estate perspective, I'm more than happy to have a conversation. I speak to students from all these different universities all the time who are in real estate programs about where they might want to steer their careers in their life. So I, I enjoy doing that.
1: That's very generous, very, very generous. It's it's really giving back to the up-and-comers, which is interesting because our show is, is, is aimed at CEOs and people on their journey. So you helping on the journey is just a great thing. Thank you for that. All right, so ladies and gentlemen, that's a wrap. Uh, you can find us on Ask a CEO for the video versions on YouTube, or you can actually Ask a CEO on any of the uh, podcast channels streaming podcasts, Uh, we're all over. Uh, We appreciate everybody to subscribe and share far and wide. So thank you everybody. That's a wrap for today. And Mark, thank you again, and we'll see you soon.
0: Thank you. That's a wrap on another Ask a CEO interview. We hope you enjoyed the talk. We'd love to hear from you. Visit gregscorneroffice.com, click the Ask a CEO tab, search your favorite listening app, or view on YouTube. Click the subscribe button and don't forget to like and follow us on Facebook. Until next time, goodbye from Ask a CEO.